Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Today we start a new series entitled Planted, Bearing Fruit in Every Season. Because the text for this series are words that Jesus speaks and which have something of a gardening theme and describes the process that it takes for a plant to grow, to be healthy, and produce abundant fruit. So we find ourselves in John 15. Jesus has gathered his people around him, and he speaks the following words to them. And we're going to read verses 1 to 8, and then we're going to read 16 and 17. It says these famous words. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears a fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Verses 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask, in my, ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Did you know that as followers of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has planned for us to live a fruitful life? He is not just simply calling us to be faithful, and sometimes faithfulness is a, is a word that we describe people who are just hanging on until the bus comes and takes them to be with Jesus. But Jesus is calling each and every one of us to be fruitful here on earth. When we use the word fruitful, it means something like that we are so fully connected to Jesus that, that we think like he thinks, that we speak like he speaks, and that we act like he acts. Fruitfulness means that when someone tastes something of our life, that we taste like Jesus. It may sound something weird, but it gives us an insight of what fruitfulness can look like. Fruitfulness means that we are slow, so closely connected to or attached to Jesus that there are tangible results and evidences in our life of this connection. So that when people look at us, they say, that's what it means to be Christ-like. To be fruitful means that out of our life flows love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness, all flowing from our lives to be fruitful people. Here is the important thing. Jesus has no plan for our lives just to produce a little bit of fruit. Jesus has no plan that our lives will produce a small harvest 
or just a few grapes. Jesus has a plan for us, and the plan is this, that our lives will not just produce fruit, but much fruit. His plan for our life is not a moderate plan, but an abundant plan. And the plan is to produce fruit that will last. He is not expecting that our lives will have some kind of temporary impact on the world, but he is expecting our lives to have a long-lasting, long-term impact through our fruitfulness. His plan for us is that this fruit will last. Let's put it like this. His mandate, as we read here in John 15, for our life is that we will have an abundant, enduring faithfulness about who we are. You know, when we, when we think about fruit, when a tree grows, fruit is not the starting point. Fruit is actually the end product. So when someone plants a seed, the first thing that grows is not the fruit. The first growth is, the, is that of roots, and it takes quite a lot of time for roots to grow and then for fruit to come after. Based on some research I did recently and asked a few people, it can take up to seven years for an apple tree to produce apple thing. Apples, apple things, what's that? <laughs> this first thing when a seed is sown is that it needs to place the roots into quality, quality soil. In fact, the abundance of fruit is dependent on a number of things. It is dependent on good roots, the quality of the soil, it is dependent on the location of the seed. It depends on the season. It depends on the amount of rain it receives and so much more. Yet it's interesting that so often we applaud the fruit on a tree, but no one applauds the roots. We applaud the fruit, but no one is cheering on the soil. We applaud the fruit but no one is too excited during winter. All of these elements are vital if a tree or a vine is to produce much fruit. It is simply that we don't focus on these things enough. So here is an important aspect of these next few weeks in this subject. When God sows a seed in our lives, the first thing that he does is not produce fruit. The first thing that he does is to encourage us to plant our lives in an environment where we will be fed and nourished. And then he encourages us to allow our roots to go deep. And all of this happens before we will produce fruit. I guess that some of us here have known what it is for God to sow a seed into our life, that he has spoken something prophetically or has spoken something into our life through his word. And we know that something of this takes process and takes time. But because we are not seeing any immediate fruit, we say, well, God's not doing anything in my life at this time, which is actually not correct. When actually what he is doing is below the surface. He is encouraging us to plant our lives to be in a right environment and to allow our roots to grow and to go deep. It is under the surface that we can't, so we don't see it. We mustn't say that God's not doing anything in our life. This is how it's, it's worked in, in my life. I just think of two occasions. 
The day I was baptized in water as a, as a young teenager, I knew that God spoke to me as clearly as he has ever spoke to me. He spoke to me when I was being baptized. And he, I knew that there was a call to full-time ministry and what we're doing upon my life. And that took 10 to 12 years to come to fruition. And although, and I should say through sharing this with my parents, with my pastor, through prayer and seeking confirmation, this process from a seed being sown to fruit starting to come that one could see or some tangible evidence of that word, it took at least 10 years. For those of you here, you may have heard me say this before, so I apologize. The process for us as a couple and as a family for coming to Gateway now for over 10 years started when two friends joked about working together someday, not ever thinking it would happen, but a seed was sown. And it took quite a long time for that to happen. And it wasn't until 2013, after something that had been said at least 15 years earlier, that fruit started to come from it. Years ago, on both occasions, a seed was sown, and over a period of time, that seed took root in the right soil, in the right environment, and has eventually produced fruit. And now, years later, we are starting to see the fullness of those seeds that were sown back there. Some of us want to rush the process. There is something about process that as human beings we don't like. Don and I often say about people of the next couple of generations coming into ministry, that they are excited about Christian ministry, that they are excited about a sense of call upon their life. There's something of excitement about the desire to serve God. It's the thought of the platform that thrills them, the process they don't like. And so often, we have to allow the process to take its place. Some of us want to produce fruit by putting down shallow roots. Some of us want to be fruitful, but we don't think about how we can have good nutrients. Some of us want to produce fruit, but we resist the pruning and wish to rush the process. Some of us want to produce fruit, but we are not rooted in one place long enough to allow our roots to go deep. And here is the takeaway. When we rush the process, there is actually a only a fraction of fruit will be produced compared to what Jesus, I believe, has planned for our lives. I want us to look at an Old Testament text that has a similar analogy to the one in John 15. It describes two things that needs to be part of our life in order for us to produce much fruit and the fullness of what God has for us. And it's Psalm 1. It says these words, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields his fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assemblies of the righteousness. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. 
I love this picture that the psalmist is painting for us here in the psalm. He is describing a fruitful tree, and this tree is fruitful because it is planted in the perfect environment for growth right next to water. This tree is producing an abundance of fruit every season, even in dry times. It doesn't fade or die. It is a fruitful, abundant tree. The psalmist is quite clear in teaching us here that he knows it is possible for us to live a life like this, an abundant, fruitful life. But he wants us to know that it is going to take two very interesting decisions before our lives can produce the said fruit. These two intentional decisions are all about our relationships and the rhythms that we choose for our life. The relationships that we have in our life and the rhythms that we choose. So let us see what he writes here in verse one. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. He is quite clearly teaching us here that our fruitfulness is dependent on the company that we keep. A good way of putting it is this. Our fruitfulness is dependent firstly on who is in us, the living God, as well as who is around us. Those two are important and they go together. Of course, our fruitfulness is built on the fact that Jesus Christ lives in us and the psalmist seems to be saying that there is a little bit more to it than this. We still have to be very careful of the people that we surround ourselves with. There are a couple more things that I want to mention about this verse. Firstly, we see that there is a progression from walking to standing to sitting. The psalmist is describing here someone who is becoming increasingly comfortable with a certain way of life. They're becoming increasingly comfortable with how they do life. So they walk down a certain path. They stand still and they settle down. They have taken a seat with a certain group of people. And it is fair to say that the group of people that they have taken a seat with are people that are not good to be around. Secondly, we see that the psalmist is talking about where people go for, go to for advice. Who is influencing them? Who is shaping their life and their choices and their decision? He is talking about people getting counsel or advice from the ungodly. They are influenced by sinful people, by a sinful culture, and therefore they become hard-hearted, mocking, and bitter. Those attitudes are starting to shape the person's life. And the psalmist is quite clear that this is not the environment for us if we want to be fruitful. It's worth pausing here for a moment and asking the questions, who do we really allow to influence our life? Who do we allow, who do we allow to influence our thoughts, our decisions, how we do stuff, how we think about situations, or how we set the culture for our homes. It is that type of company and community that will eventually affect our fruitfulness. 
Wherever we plant our lives will eventually rub off on us, whether it be for good or for bad, or whether it means we will be fruitful or we will not be fruitful. You know, well-known verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. We see this principle at work. We see a parent or teacher describe a child as a good kid, but he is starting to keep bad company. How many of you had that said about you when you were growing up, or maybe even today, that you're a good person, but keeping bad company? And this is true whatever age we are, 30, 60, or 90. We've all seen that if we have planted our lives in a wrong community with the wrong people, life will go wrong. Some may be saying, well, aren't we supposed to love everyone, Chris? Aren't we supposed to be kind and gracious? And surely we can't be selective about the people in our lives. You see, I believe that the Bible teaches us that relationships are spatial. In other words, we can, get, we can be very intentional about how close we allow a person to come into our life. There are people that I know excuse me, that are not a good influence in my life, but I still have to um, do stuff in life with them, but I don't let them become too close. Do I love them? Yes. Do I want to see them reach for Jesus? Absolutely yes. Do I want them to influence me? Absolutely not. There is a space that needs to be committed to. The writer of the Psalms seems to be saying, if you wish to be a fruitful tree, we need to make sure that mockers, sinners, critics, and the ungodly have no influence on our life. This is clearly a negative view, but I would like to turn this around in the time that we have this morning and give us a positive view on this. And I do believe that the Bible clearly teaches us that we, how we are to plant our life, with whom we are to plant our life, with whom we are allowed to bring into our life in order for us to be fruitful and produce fruit that lasts. Firstly, I believe that the Bible teaches us that we need to plant ourselves in a tribe, in a larger group of people, people who generally believe what we believe, want the kind of things that we want, share the same values, enjoy the same culture, generally think what we think. And this is called a church. If you read the Bible from start to finish, there is actually no endorsement of lone rangers, whether this be a lone ranger individual or a couple or a lone ranger family. People who try to live out their faith outside of the company of the community of Jesus Christ will not bear fruit. The Bible gives a clear implication. I read a great, great quote. Look at this. I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but they are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Isn't that a great quote? Absolutely great. The Bible always calls us to grow and produce fruit in the company of others who have a similar relationship that we do with our Heavenly Father. It has often been said, that there is an ec- uh, epidemic in the contemporary church of people looking at church with a consumer mindset. You know, it is almost impossible to produce much fruit if we don't have roots that go deep and long in one place. 
Scripture teaches us to produce fruit at last is necessary to find a tribe, put down roots, stick with that tribe, be faithful to that tribe, and of course, we all want to do that through spring and summer. But though, when autumn and winter comes for whatever reason, my experience is that people don't want to stick so much with that tribe. But if we want to be fruitful, we need to find a tribe and it need, our roots need to go deep. I believe, secondly, that we need to plant ourselves in the company of some cheerleaders, some people who are on our side. In the same way the psalmist tells us that we should avoid mockers, I think that we should be wise and intentionally place into our life people who are positive, faith-filled, and we need to be deliberately purposeful in making sure that this happens. I have a four or five guys in my life that I find are my cheerleaders. They are not as harsh on me as I am on myself, and they are on my side, and I deliberately plan in time to be with them, and I so enjoy it, and they are my cheerleaders. I remember one incident. It was back in 80, 1989. You probably don't know this, but between, between my late 20s and early 40s, I ran about five marathons. I trained and I planned and I managed to do five marathons. But if you ever do something for the first time, and I, my first marathon was in October 1989, you turn up on the day, and I got to the starting line over about two or three or 4,000 people. I couldn't remember how to run. I've been training for all these months, and I think, I can't even begin to run. How do I do this? And so you're really super nervous, and whether you're in an orchestra or anything, it's just like, Phew. so I started to do this. And we were about six miles in. And I will never see this lady again, ever. I can describe her to you. But she, had, she saw me coming, and I had my number on it. I can't remember what the number was. But she called out my number, and she said, son, you can do it. The first thing that she called me son was I was really pleased. But she had confidence. She became my cheerleader. And all the way for the rest of those total 26 miles, her cheering, her encouragement was in the back of my head thinking, I want to do it if it's only just for her, despite all the training. And she became my cheerleader. You know, we all need cheerleaders just a few people in our lives who by just being close to them or near to them, they encourage us, they spur us on, and they motivate us and inspire us to fruitfulness. You know, I came across a great phrase uh, a couple of weeks ago. It says, accountability is not making sure someone doesn't smoke. It is actually helping to make sure that someone stays on fire. We need a few people around us telling us that we can make it, that we can do it, and who will make sure that we stay on fire for God. Thirdly, we need to plan our lives in the company of wise counselors. Proverbs 13, 20 says in the New Revised Standard Version, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Well, the message says, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. The writer of Proverbs asks, do you want to live with wisdom? Do you want to make some really right, wise, right decisions and good choices? Well, if you do, then therefore plant 
and wrap yourselves in the company of wise people. We actively have to uproot ourselves from the company of fools. If you have fools around you, and the Bible tells you what a fool is, we need to actively uproot ourselves and replant ourselves elsewhere. We need to go specifically to a few people in our orbit and say, I give you permission to speak into my life when I invite you to and when I don't invite you to. Fourthly, I believe we need to plant our lives in the company of a few friends. We looked at this briefly when we looked at Proverbs earlier this year, so it won't take long. It's back on a podcast. You may only need a couple of good friends, but you do need a couple. Friends to be with on our worst days, who will cheer us on on our best days, will tell us the truth when we are wrong, and they will tell you you've got food stuck in your tooth. If our life is going to produce fruit, we need a couple of good, close, loyal, non-sycophantic friends who know what it is to be truthful. So if we have these four components in our life, I believe that it's probably that we do something that the Americans call a DTR, and it's a very practical, and it's a very challenging, and it can be a very uneasy, but I actually think it's something that we do. The Americans call it, as I said, a DTR, which means a define the relationship moment when one deliberately says that this is my tribe, or this isn't my tribe, this is my church, or this isn't my church. That we say to someone, you know, I just enjoy being around you. I enjoy your friendship. I enjoy our conversations. Can we just make this a regular habit? I appreciate that the way that you encourage me, and I thank you for it. It means much to me, more than perhaps you realize. And please, can we continue? Look to someone and say, I need you in my life because I appreciate your counsel. And, you're willing to, and if you're willing to be this for me, I would really appreciate spending some time with you. Identify some people in our lives and say that you are my closest friends. We need to, to define relationships and go and define that relationship with that person. It is not easy, it makes us nervous, but the rewards are fruitful. Very, very fruitful. The word... The word planted in this text means a very deliberate action. It means very, very deliberate. There's nothing in this word that's just the seed or the tree has been planted at random. About the very word itself, it is incredibly precision, very exactly planted in the ground. This is not just, we're not gonna get Fruitful by just scattering the seeds of our life. There needs to be an intentionality. There needs to be a deliberate. And this is what it's talking here in Psalm 1. This is no, the sower goes out the sow and he throws it here and he throws it there and he throws it everywhere. Everything about Psalm 1 is intentional. It is deliberate. It is purposeful. It is thought through. And it is rewarding. So being planted is not about living a random life. It is about intentionally planting our life and that of our families in a group of people saying, you help me grow. Our fruitfulness is dependent on who is in us and who is around us. Our fruitfulness is dependent on our relationships and our rhythms. Please notice 
what this fruitful person is doing. They are also not only having good people around them, they are delighting themselves in the law of the Lord. They are meditating on it day and night. They have created a rhythm to their life that is nourishing their soul. Every morning, every evening, they are spending time in God's word and thinking about it. So our fruitfulness is determined by our defining moments and our daily rhythms. Of course, in part, the direction and the fruitfulness of our lives is going to be defined by the big decisions we have to make or have already made. Getting married or not. Having a mortgage or not. If you have children or not. And if you have children, how many? Career choices. These are all big things. Choosing to be faithful in marriage, to be honest, to be accountable, are big decisions that dictate fruitfulness in in some ways. But I also believe that fruitfulness of our lives is determined, as we see here in Psalm 1, by our daily disciplines and our daily rhythms. The things that happen beneath the soil that no one else sees, but they give significant life to the whole tree. It is about the way we remain in him so that we can bear much fruit. So Psalm 1 says this fruitful person is fruitful because they have made the daily decision to absorb something of God's written word, morning and evening. And there are two words that I just want us very quickly as we close to to see here. The first word is delight. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. They are finding those moments when they read God's word and they are finding it to be a positive and pleasurable experience. They delight in it and they deliberately have a mindset that says, I may not understand everything that it's saying here in Leviticus, but I am going to absolutely delight in it. My guess is that some of us don't necessarily view our time in God's word always as a delight. Sometimes we just do it to get through it, to say that we've done it. Sometimes we think of it as a duty or a burden or even heavy or demanding. May I encourage each and every one of us that when we spend time in his word, that it is not a duty, it is a delight. Rather, consider it as a gift that God has given to us. A gift so that when we open the word, the written word of God, that as we approach it, it is an amazing opportunity to learn more about the God whom we love, but more about the God who made the universe, the God who's coming back again and who we will spend eternity with. That we may not be understanding that passage that we're at there at that moment in that day, but it is still a delight. Isn't it amazing that you and I get to read the promises of God? It's amazing that we get to read and understand the plans of God. Let's turn something that perhaps we see as a duty into a delight and as a gift. Delight, and the second word is meditate. He meditates day and night. For some of us, the word meditate may make us slightly nervous that there are some forms of spirituality that encourage us to empty our minds. But Christian meditation is about filling our minds with truth. You know, the word meditate here in Hebrew and in Psalm 1 and in Hebrew actually means to mutter. That's what it means. It means to mutter, like muttering something under their breath, like your kids mutter under their breath sometimes if you've told them off, maybe if you have kids. Sometimes we may even stop, say stop muttering 
And sometimes we mutter about something that gets in our mind and we can't get it out. But this is what meditation means here. To keep focused on or to keep repeating, rehearsing, focusing on a verse, a truth, a concept, a passage in order to help us develop a deeper understanding of what Scripture is saying. We need to chew it over. This is why the person in Psalm 1 lives a very, very fruitful life. You know, I want to encourage us to go home in this next week, and just not just to go home sometime this next week, but go home. And during next week, whilst you were there, pick a psalm, pick a passage, and just mutter to yourself about it. I'm just going to do something here in Psalm 23 in the next two minutes as we bring it to a close. And you've got, you've got it there. Let's just have a go. Let's have a mutter. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. You know, it's good to know, as I speak to myself, that my father wants to bless me and my family and my tribe so that we lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So good, again, that my heavenly father is with me. He wants to refresh me and he wants to restore my soul daily when I'm tired and I just don't feel like doing anything and I feel the world is against me. He wants to restore my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. You know, on those days when we feel lost and we don't know what, if God even loves us, we don't even know what he wants us to do, we don't even know if we're even being effective as Christians, that, you know, he is guiding me, he is guiding you. Why? For his name's sake. He has made a commitment to doing it because it is about him. You know, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, it is good to meditate and to mutter and be reminded that the God of the universe is with me. In the darkest moments of my life, he will never, ever let me go. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head, my oil, and my cup overflows. Even though we are opposed by a significant enemy, and that may be a spiritual enemy or maybe somebody in the workplace or even in the home, that the presence of God is so with us that he wants our joy to overflow and to affect our lives. And finally, what do we say about surely goodness and mercy or love will follow me over the, all the days of my life? What do I say about that? You know, take a look over your shoulder. And do you know who's following you? Goodness and mercy. Take a look over my shoulder. Goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's going to be a great place where nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. In two minutes... Maybe some of you will say longer. In two minutes, I've muttered in the biblical sense of Psalm 23. And if I can do it in front of so many hundred people, you can do it in the car or in the privacy of your own home. This is why this person is fruitful, because they delight in God's word and to chew it over and to mutter and meditate it on us. As we close, Jesus has a plan for our life regardless of what stage we are at today irrespective of how old or how young we are. And his purpose in us is to produce much fruit, fruit that lasts. But here's the point, big point. It is not automatic. 
It is not just going to happen. We have to be very intentional and choose who we're going to plant in our lives and where we're going to plant our lives. It will involve building into our lives great relationships and building in good and great rhythms. So we choose today to make changes if needed. We need to make choices that change the direction of our life to make God-prompted adjustments and put down some roots and establish some rhythms that will produce much fruit. But here's the kicker. No one can make those decisions for us. I can simply stand before you over these next four to five weeks and simply suggest some things that will influence our fruitfulness, but the decision has to be made by us as individuals to plant ourselves in a tribe, to find some cheerleaders, to invite wise counselors, and get hold of his word and meditate on it day and night. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.